Welcome to the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. In our sermon series, Jesus, we are walking through the Gospel of Mark to discover the answer to the question, who is this man? Our speaker today is Senior Minister Dee Bacon. So we continue on our series, Jesus. We're working through the story of Jesus as told by Mark and where it's contained in our Bibles. Matthew, Mark, it's the second book of the New Testament. So if you open up your New Testament, it's on the right side of your Bibles. If you're using uh, uh, the book, it's the right side. It's right there. Put it in there, and when you see that, you go, Matthew, Mark, Mark's the story of Jesus. We're now coming towards the end of the series and towards the end of the story. So we're working through Mark. Now, in preparation for this, um, I just started, for some reason, I noticed on my computer some of my pictures. And I don't know if you do this now. Um, it used to be you printed your pictures, right? And when you printed your pictures, you put them in a book. And then you went back to the book and you pulled it out and you looked. Nowadays, we don't do it that way. Uh, nowadays, what do we do? We go to our computer and we look at the pictures on our computer or our phones and we review them. And so, would you mind, I'm going to share with you some of the the neat pictures that I have taken that's on my computer that's just been over the years. Um, the first one, this is a, a picture of the Grand Canyon. My wife and I, we were honored to have opportunity to go there to celebrate, I believe it was 20 years of marriage, something like that. Uh, don't ask me to remember. Anyway, uh, we'll go back to the Grand Canyon there, Bryce. Thank you. Um, now, here's, here's the thing about the Grand Canyon. Shannon and I arrive at the park, and we're thinking, we'll never miss it, because it's this massive hole in the ground, right? No lie. We walked around 30 minutes trying to find the Grand Canyon. I'm like, where is this hole? But when you get there, it's like, wow, it's pretty big. Okay, now we can go to the next story. Now, this one is the same year. I believe it was 2014. That's my niece walking there in front of me. Uh, I had the opportunity to go and see my family in England. It was like, I believe it's. One of the last times I saw my dad uh, vertical. Um, but this is in Broadstairs, England, beautiful place. You can see the cliffs right there. Those are the ones that are connected to the White Cliffs of Dover. So it's a pretty cool place to be. All right, let's go to the next one. Uh, this is a picture in my backyard. I, I took it, and somehow it's always captivated me. We had a bunch of snow, and, uh, you know, we, I took this picture with the sun shining through. Are you like, do you like get moved by pictures with, with light shining through? Oh, yeah, I always love that. For some reason, they, they catch me. And so this picture catches me on a winter day when we had a little bit of snow and I, I took the picture. Uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. All right, next one. Now, this is an, a great picture. Someone sent this to me. This is the cross out there on a moonlit night. Isn't that cool? 2017, and I have this picture because this picture reminds me of just exactly what happened, how we got here, God at work, and that just is like the culmination of everything, and so that cross and then that moon shining, it's just like, it was just unbelievable, unbelievable picture. All right, next one, uh, this was a really significant thing for me. Some of you may recognize this. This is the Sea of Galilee from Capernaum, and we've been working through the story of the Gospel of Mark. And many people think that Mark is the memoirs of Peter, and Capernaum was Peter's hometown. So this is kind of like, this is the hometown a setting of a lot of what we're being going through in the Gospel of Mark, the Sea of Galilee. Over that side, the, those hills over there, you know, when it talks about Jesus got on the boat and went to the other side of the lake, 
That's there. That's the place. He would go out there and, you know, mess around and go to the mountain and all that. All right, so next picture. This is the Judean wilderness in Israel, our trip to Israel in 2018. And uh, Judean wilderness, I just think it's absolutely beautiful. I see this picture, and I'm reminded of that line. After Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit led him into the where? The wilderness to be tempted. There it is. That's the wilderness. So you're like, if you have it in your mind's eye, you want to picture what was happening, that's where he went into, that kind of place. All right, next picture. This is a picture of Jerusalem, but I'm coming in, looking to Jerusalem from, from the Mount of Olives. And uh, today, we're going to talk about Jesus. He's coming into Jerusalem, and next week is Palm Sunday. This is the direction he comes. This is the, uh, the east gate. It's probably a little to the right there. But this is Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives side. And so Jesus is going to come into that. That's the temple. Of course, it's not the temple temple, but all that bottom piece there, those walls and stuff, uh, that's the, the foundation of Herod's temple, uh, what he built. But that's pretty cool. Next picture. These are, uh, these are the steps going up into the temple, and that's Tim Peace. Uh, yeah, you can't tell by the hat, I know, but that's Tim Peace. And what gets me, those steps from the first century, those are the steps that Jesus walked up to go into the temple. Those are the actual steps. And Paul and all the boys we read about in the Scriptures, them are the steps, and that's also Tim Peace. Walk in those steps. So hopefully Jesus, Tim walks, follows Jesus. But anyway, there, there we have it. All right, this is a picture of me, a recent trip to uh, Dominican Republic. I want to just kind of highlight, just, this is something that moves me. This is a little kid called Pepe. And Pepe was a photobomber. <laughs> I've got a number of pictures, and guess what? Pepe's like. <laughs> now, what you don't notice is that Pepe's leg right here is, uh, has been mangled. And I come to discover when we went to the, Pepe lives in uh, basically a shack, a slum shack there in Dominican Republic, not too far from uh, Navarrete, just near Santiago. But Pepe's family was in a car accident, and he lost a couple of family members in that. And as a result, Pepe's uh, legs were crushed. And due to the situations, they, are, they were never repaired. He doesn't have straight legs. And so this kid, though, was full of joy. And though he didn't run, his leg was all mangled still, uh, he still played baseball, and he still demanded for the ball. And he just had an unbelievable joy, unbelievable joy. And you see that face, although you can notice, I don't know if you notice, his, his teeth are gone. That's not because uh, he's getting new teeth. That's because, guess what, they're rotting, right? Yet, here he is, uh, photobombing, full of joy. Uh, I just love it. And that's their, that's their ball field down in, in Dominican Republic where we are. And these kids play for hours and hours and hours, just baseball, every one of them. All right, next one. This is a picture coming back from Dominican. I don't know. This just captivated me, uh, just like the sky was on fire. And uh, this is a picture from my, my, win my window coming back from Dominican Republic and you know, you're up in the sky, many times you get glimpses of just the beauty of God's creation. And, you know, the Bible talks about how creation proclaims the realities of God. If you don't pay attention, you miss them sometimes. And I'm thankful that I paid attention and had my phone and snap that picture. All right, last one. 
And this is a picture of Breckenridge, Colorado. Similar thing, right? I was out for a walk, gasping for air because there's no oxygen up there. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I was up there. And just uh, the opposite, you know, you go from just being at the top of the world. Now, why am I showing you all this? Because um, I'm just opening up a little bit about these pictures and what they do to me. They remind me of God and the work of God in our world. And I've been thinking about that, and I'm thinking this desire within me, when we, when we are captivated by pictures like this, something inside of us just moves. And how does that, what is that all about? And a word that, that has really come to me regarding this is, is, is a simple word, but I think it's a word that captures everything. It's the word with. With. If you think about it, if you, if you just take a moment to contemplate, with motivates us for life. I want to go and be in nature so I can be with. I want to meet someone so that I can do life with. I go to school and I get trained and I gain experience and I gather all these tools and skills so that I can use them. I can, I can use them for work. It's a with thing. With these things that I have, I can now have value to the life and give them to earn money, to have a career. Every one of us has a desire for with. And deep down, I would say the pictures that I've just shown you reminds me that I have this deep down desire to walk in life with something and specifically someone bigger than myself. I have a desire to be with God. I want to walk with God and I want to... Want to be with God, and to live with God. And it's this desire for with that, that motivates me to do what I do. I mean, think about it. All the stuff that, what is the motive? What, what gets you up in the morning every day? What gives you joy every day? What makes you go, Whoa, wow? What, what makes you laugh? What makes you just passionate? Ultimately, I would argue that it comes down to with. And as I've been thinking about this, it's been mulling over this for a couple of weeks now, I, I began to just observe around me and just observe life around me and people around me. And Shannon, she goes one morning, she says, check this crazy video out. And so she shows me this video, and there's these two women who are out somewhere in nature doing these kind of calisthenic weird exercises. And one of these women is beginning to espouse her views of life. And, and she says, you know, we're overpopulated. She's coming from a very left view of things. She's overpopulated. This is a problem. We need less people on the planet to save the planet. And so then she begins to, to tout her philosophy on, on, on marriage and, and on child rearing. And she said, women, you're not don't have any more children because it's an affront to nature, and you need, if you are, you need to have abortions, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, wow. While I don't agree with her vehemently, I'm being asked, well, why would she say that? What makes a woman 
who I would guess has these natural inclinations to be a mom, why would she come to that? And I thought, it's because of her innate desire with, she wants to be connected to something bigger than herself. And even though it's misguided, I can understand her motivation because she has deep down in her heart a desire for with. And that desire for with has been channeled in a way that's not right. But it's still there. I've been into a a show called Meat Eater on uh, Netflix. It's about a hunter. And he goes all over the world and hunts and shoots and eats the meat of the stuff he eats. He kills. It's kind of... Yeah. Anyway. uh, So one episode, he's like two, two episodes. He spent time in like the Bolivian jungle with these Bolivian native guys and he lived with them and he hunts with them and he's learning their techniques of cooking meat and all the crazy stuff they're eating. And and I'm watching this and I'm thinking, hmm, it's it's been really pretty interesting. And really get some insight into the daily life of these Bolivian Indians living in the jungle. And I'm like, wow, we are very, very different. The way they live and the way they operate and the stuff they eat, we were like, there's no way we would be doing that, right? But on the other hand, I'm like, but they're a lot like us, like me anyway. And the number thing that I realize is that they have this desire for with as well. They want to live in community. They want to live their life with their families. They want to live in their environment with happiness. They hunt and they, they provide for, for their families and take care of themselves because they have this desire for life they want to live with. And there's an acknowledgement that there's something bigger than themselves. They call it spirits. They call it uh, whatever, the gods. And they want to live in harmony with those gods. They want to live with peace with the supernatural. And I'm like, they're so much like this. They have this desire for with. They want to be right with God and to live with God, just like you and me even though they're living in huts and hunting with arrows and eating stuff that you and I would never touch. They're just like us. They're motivated by with. I think we all have a sense that something's amiss when it comes to our relationship with God and with. And that motivates us to pursue answers to life's big questions. Those, that question, how can I be right with God, is the motivation for a number of conversations recorded for us in the story of, script, in the story of Scripture, particularly in the story of Jesus that we have contained in what we call the Gospels. And Jesus, I want to highlight three times where an individual will ask Jesus pretty much the same question, though he asks it in different ways, and Jesus will give pretty much the same answer. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, an expert in the law, an individual who is well-grounded in God's communications to the people of Israel on what it means to live right with him, comes to Jesus and says, Jesus... Which is the greatest of the commandments? 
How, how, can I, how can I know which is the best? And Jesus will answer, hey, love God and love your neighbor. Now, this individual will have a problem with the love the neighbor part. He's like, yeah, I got that. I, I get the love God, but what does it mean to love your neighbor? And then from that occasion, Jesus will then tell the story that many of us know called the story of the Good Samaritan. You familiar with that? Story of the Good Samaritan. You can, can look it up. On another occasion, another individual who was a devout follower of God's laws as shown in the Old Testament in the old way, the Jewish way, but he was pretty wealthy. And in their mind, his wealth connected to his ability to follow God. And like, in their mind, their theology, because he was good, he was also able to be blessed with wealth because that's how things worked in their mind and their economy. And so he came to Jesus and he asked Jesus, which is of the greatest? How can I get eternal life? How can I have that which I seem to miss even though I have everything in the world, something that you seem to have and offer, and, and Jesus will tell him pretty much the same thing. Love God. Love people. And the man will go, I do that. And Jesus will say, well, then you lack one more thing. You lack one more thing. How about you sell everything, give up all that you love, your wealth, and give your life to following me? And the Bible says... The young man won't be able to do it. He won't be able to give himself to following Jesus. And now we come to the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to go at Mark chapter 12. And Mark chapter 12, we're going to get into verse 28, another conversation by a well-schooled man on the law, the Word, the Bible, the truth of God as revealed to the Israelites and uh, to set the context of this, it's important that we understand what's happening, right? Remember last week I talked to you about the story of the gospel of Mark, how it flowed geographically. And there are three parts to it, zone one, I said, and zone two and zone three. And if we get that map back up, let's just go through this. We'll be reminded of the context of that, that map of Israel. Oh, here it is, good. All right, so Act 1 starts with Mark 1, 1 to 8, 2, now 8, 26. Now, this doesn't mean that there aren't accounts in this section in which records Jesus going down to Jerusalem, but primarily the focus is Jesus' work around this area. Remember I just said there's Capernaum. I showed you a picture of the Sea of Galilee. Well, that's right there. And the, the shoreline that we were looking at was right over here. So the first section is, is that. Now, I've done a little different than what I did last week. I've color-coded these three areas, green, yellow, and red, for a purpose. The color code has to do with the safety of Jesus, right? The safety of Jesus. Safety of Jesus in relation to the Jewish authorities, and so while it's up here, this section, we can say Jesus is in a green zone. He's safe, going well. He's really not stirring too much trouble with the Jewish authorities, the Jewish leadership, the religious elite. The second act is a story of Jesus now turns his attention and begins to move towards the south, Act 2, Mark 8, 27 to 10, 52. And he's beginning to move here, and he's beginning to know, uh, tell his disciples, okay, guys, uh, we're now facing facing kind of the end of this part of my ministry, and it's going to get 
hotter. It's going to get more dangerous. We are now facing the reality that I'm going to be betrayed, arrested, tried, executed. But it's okay because we know Easter Sunday's coming. But that's what it is. And so we got the section right here. It's yellow. Things are getting a little heated as he goes south. And then finally we get this Act 3 when he's primarily in Jerusalem. Act 3, Mark 11, 1 to 1620, this whole thing where he's now what I would call in the red zone. His life is in danger. He's in an immense amount of pressure. There's tension. And there's now open conflict between Jesus and the religious establishment, open conflict between them. And the section of Scripture we're going to talk about, right, Mark chapter 12, verse 28, is within this. So the section begins... Jesus comes into Jerusalem, and he comes in very, very intentionally. He comes in. Remember I showed you that picture from the Mount of Olives? He comes in from that side, very much capturing prophecy, fulfillment of prophecy. The Messiah will come on a donkey from that gate, from the east gate. He'll come from that direction. There's a lot of prophecy. He's confirming that, and the people in Jerusalem all welcome him as the Messiah. In fact, remember I talked about Hosanna. They use the word Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blesses the King, the Messiah. And they're all excited because Jesus is coming in, and he's coming in on Passover. We'll talk about this next week. Passover is like their 4th of July. So imagine the tension that's rising they are occupied by Rome. They're celebrating 4th of July under oppression. Jesus is coming in, and he's proclaiming as the Messiah. People are like, "Woohoo! we're going to go to war. We're going to have a revolution. You know, woo-hoo. Uh, but Jesus, knows, Jesus remembers, like, I'm not that kind of Messiah. I'm not here to overthrow the Romans. I'm over here to throw a far greater kingdom, the kingdom of death and Satan. And so he comes in, triumphal entry, and we're told he goes into Jerusalem, and then he leaves Jerusalem, and he stays at some friend's house at a little town called Bethany. He goes back and forth in and out of Jerusalem. Bethany is not too far from Jerusalem. Comes in, we're told in this section where Jesus comes in, and he clears out the temple. There are individuals, money makers, who are in the temple selling uh, offerings and, and really extorting people who are coming in, and he clears it out, and he says, get out of here. This is supposed to be a house of prayer, not a, a den of thieves. The religious establishment in the temple then are not happy, and they basically confronted Jesus and said, who do you think you are? What do you think you're doing? Right? You're, you're stomping our turf. You're messing with our stuff. You're causing trouble. You're going to get us in trouble with the Romans. There's a lot of tension. And then Jesus begins some open dialogue with them. He tells a story about uh, a tenant that was renting a vineyard from an owner. And the vineyard owner would send messengers to, to, to deal with the tenants, but the tenants would not, not take any heed of him. And then finally he sends, the owner sends the son, and the, the tenants kill the son. Jesus basically points and says, you guys are the tenants of the vineyard that God has given, and you're about to, planning to kill me. They get into conversations about different things. There's two groups. There's a group called the Pharisees and the Herodians. These are nationalist groups, and they try to trap Jesus in a conversation about paying taxes to the Romans. Another group called the Sadducees. The Sadducees was a party that were primarily made up of the priests that, that ran the temple. These guys didn't believe in resurrection. And these guys try to trick Jesus in some kind of elaborate story to try to get Jesus into trouble and cause controversy to trip him up. And they get into the story about this guy 
who was married. There were seven brothers. The older brother married this woman, and then the guy died. And according to Jewish law, if the wife of the eldest son dies, she should then go to the next son. And they say the story is, is that every time she gets married to one son, he dies, and she has to get passed along. And they said, well, whose wife is she when there's resurrection? And, of course, Jesus does some, some education about what resurrection is all about. And my question is, shouldn't someone be asking about how is it that this woman, every time she gets married, these guys die? <laughs> you ever thought about that? I mean, like, like make miniseries about black widows and all that stuff, right? Anyway. And Jesus deals with it. And so that's where we come to. And I know it's a little long roundabout thing, but let's get to verse 28 because now we come to our scripture to the individual who is sitting there listening to Jesus make these answers and deal with these attacks from these various religious leaders. And he comes to Jesus basically with our question, right? How can I, how can I be right with God? There's our big with word. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating Jesus and the Sadducees about this whole thing about the widow of seven brothers. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. Love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And then, from then on, it says, no one dared ask him any more questions. Once again, we have an individual who earnestly is asking the question, How can I be right with God? And these are individuals who have dedicated their life to trying to do what is right so that they can be right and they can live right with God. Yet their system of religion, their efforts, the things that they pour themselves into obviously was, was lacking. Obviously deep down, it wasn't ask, answering the question, how can I be confident that I am right with God? And hence then they ask Jesus the question because they see Jesus as one who had what they did not the confidence and assurance that I am right with God. And so they ask, he asks the question, and Jesus says, here's the answer. Love God with everything you got, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you want to live right with God, that's what it looks like. But notice Jesus also says this. He says, you're not far from the kingdom. He doesn't say, you got it, you're in the kingdom. You, you're not far from the kingdom. Love God and love people is the way to live right with God. But how we are made right with God requires another element of which we will be told about in the story next week and the next week. 
How can we be made right with God so that we can live right with God? And the answer to that question is simple. Faith. Faith in the one God sent, Jesus. So I came across a story, cute little story, about a man named Sky Jathani. He's an author, speaker, and he was telling about when his daughter Zoe was two and a half years old. His daughter Zoe liked to play hide-and-seek. How many of you enjoy play hide-and-seek with your kids? I, I've done it. Yep, a lot of fun, especially to scare them. <laughs> Sometimes it's good to play hide-and-seek and then stop seeking so they can give you some peace. <laughs> no. I never did that. Um, so this guy plays hide-and-seek with his daughter, and sometimes they play it correctly where she hides and, and he comes to find her. But most of the time, he says, he plays this, the game where she takes his phone and hides it. And he said, now, she's got everything right. She closes her eyes. She counts off. But he said, what she's got wrong is that she hides the phone at the same place every time, always on the steps. But being a good daddy, he pretends he doesn't see it. And so he then walks around pretending he doesn't see where the phone is, knowing that the phone is on the steps. And the little girl, two and a half years old, Zoe's like, when he's like moving around, she's like, no, dad, you know where it is. Don't be silly. It's on the stairs like it always is, right? This guy says, you know, I'm trying to teach her that the fun of the game is in the seeking, the fun in the game is in the adventure of trying to, to, to find what you're looking for. But for her, the fun of the game is simple. It's in the finding. Her joy is when her daddy, and that's why she makes it easy, her daddy finds what she's lost, his phone. And this is the comment that I want everyone to pay attention to. And it's in your bullets and it's up here on the screen. Let's just go with what he says. And an insight that's really important in this. He says, God wants us to seek him. But like Zoe, he understands that the real joy is not in seeking, but in finding. He wants to be found. He wants to be found. He has not intended the Christian life to be an impossible hunt for an elusive God that requires enormous faith. Quite the contrary. The Christian life is a simple walk to a welcoming God that requires only childlike faith. The man was close to the kingdom of God, and what he lacked was one more piece to add to love God and love people. Believe in Jesus, the one he sent. It's no coincidence that Jesus is called Emmanuel. Remember Christmas time? We talk about Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. Jesus' name, Emmanuel, refers to the work that he will provide for those who believe in him, God with us. And time and time again in scriptures, you have a promise that God will establish a new way 
for us to relate to Him that will be open to everyone, not just limited to the Israelites, but to every person. Every person qualifies to receive the gift, God with us. How? Through Jesus. And what Jesus will do, and what we'll talk about next week and the week after in Easter, what Jesus will do, he will provide by his work on the cross a way in which every one of us, no matter what we've done, no matter where we live, whether we're on the, in, in Borneo, whether we're some crazy uh, wacko person espousing some crazy stuff in the, <laughs> the jungle, but he's provided a way that every one of us can live with him. We can love God, love people. We can know God is with us and be confident in that and find the answer to the question that every one of us have deep within us. How can I be right with God? Well, through faith in Jesus, loving God, loving people. And it's an invitation that he provides to everyone Simple faith, the faith of a child who says, yes, I believe. Yes, I believe. And the question then, the exciting challenge then is this. Now that you know, now that you've been told, now that Jesus has come into the world and done what he has done and his church carries his message, will you accept it? Will you accept it? Will you live with God as he offers that opportunity by learning to love him day to day, learning to love others day to day, and learning to continually have faith and trust in him? Love God, love people, believe. It's a one-off event that we make and we celebrate when others are in, in, in baptized. It's a day-to-day -day commitment that we live out. Love God, love people, believe. I'm going to say we stand. We're going to close up our time together with a prayer. I'm going to ask those individuals who are in our prayer ministry to come forward. They're going to be up front. If you'd like to have someone to pray with because you are burdened and you're moved because of that burden, uh, these guys are here available to you. If you have questions regarding your spiritual journey, just come to them and, and share that with them, and they can point you in the right direction to, to point you to the next steps. But let's just pray. And let's just give thanks to God for the gift he's given to us in Jesus. Lord, we just thank you so very much for Jesus. <laughs> I thank you that you are God who wants to be found. I thank you for every scripture that talks about when the lost is found, there is rejoicing in heaven. There is a party amongst the people of God. I thank you, Lord, for your desire your desire to answer the question that each one of us have, how can I be right with God? And I thank you that you've shown us how that can be through faith in the one you sent, Jesus, and through loving you and loving others as Jesus taught us to. Lord, help us to live in this, I pray. It's the name of Jesus, the only name by which we can confidently know we have access to you by Amen. Thank you for listening. 
you can interact with us online at our website, www.mtcarmelchurch.org. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.